0: Hello, and uh, thank you for listening today. Today I want to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. For a bit of context, let's begin reading at verse number 9. The Bible says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac." Verse number 14 says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us today to look into your word. Lord, let it be profitable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've read Genesis before, you may remember that When Sarah thought that she could not have a child of her own, she told Abraham to sleep with Hagar, her servant, so that he could have a son through her. This, of course, was a terrible lack of faith that would haunt Israel for millennia to come as Hagar's child Ishmael would be a wild man, as the Bible says, and constantly fighting against Israel. But uh, now Sarah has her own child, and she is kicking Hagar out. We come to verse 15, and the Bible says, And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. Now this surely is a state of great hopelessness lost, wandering in the wilderness with no provision, no water, no food. She's sure that her child is going to die, but look back with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 16, verse number 5. The Bible says, And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai de- dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water, in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself Under her hands, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So we see Hagar has been in a similar situation to that of Genesis 21 before, where she's fled away from Sarai, her master's wife. But now, this time, there is no fountain of water. This time, instead of being found by the angel in the way to Shur, Hagar is found wandering. There's no plan, there's no destination in mind. And worst of all, there is not sufficient provisions. To be fair, here Hagar was an Egyptian, not of Abraham's family or Abraham's God. She also saw both Abraham and Sarah at times, showing a lack of faith in God's plan for their lives. So now Hagar cannot see a way out of the situation that she's in in Genesis 21, and it causes her to despair. Yet God had promised her in Genesis 16, as we just saw, that her son would become a great nation. That had not yet happened, of course. In Genesis 21 and so if she believed God if she would trust God then she would know that they're going to be fine but she's in despair so this teaches us a couple of things first of all when we focus on the situation that we find ourselves in instead of the Savior we invite despair into our lives I like to point people to Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3, which say, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth. Is full of his glory. Now we know that in Isaiah's day, just as in our day, the entire earth was not full of God's glory. There was fighting and death and lying and stealing and all types of sin in the world, but because those seraphims were facing towards God with their faces shielded from all else by those wings, they could cry out that decree Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth. It's full of his glory. Because from their perspective, it was. It's all about perspective. Where is your focus today? Hagar in Genesis 21 believes that her son is about to die, even though she was told by the Lord in Genesis 16 that he would become a mighty nation of people. Which brings me to my second point here, that proper faith shields us from despair and depression. The Lord has promised us so many things. If you are a born-again child of God, then God has promised you some things, as he has promised all those who will trust in him. One of those promises is forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, verse 7, "...in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches..." Of his grace, he's promised us eternal security. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Jesus Christ says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We've been promised victory over sin each day of our lives, Romans chapter six and verse six. We've been promised blessings from heaven each day, Psalm sixty eight nineteen. We've been promised Christ's presence with us through life. Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Also, some of the future promises we look forward to as born-again children of God. That blessed hope of the glorious event called the rapture, found in First Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18, among other places. That blessing and that hope that we have of heaven, John 14, tells us more of that. And so many more blessings, so many more promises that God has given us if we have proper faith in these promises and proper perspective and proper focus uh, when we remember these things and, and keep those in our in our view instead of our situations we can rest easy knowing that all the troubles of this life are nothing compared to what god has given us there's a verse that i want you to commit to memory if you're able romans chapter 8 verse 18 that's romans 8:18 8, the bible says for i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's say that one more time, Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now it's a fact, fact of life, that everyone has bad days. Times of feeling low and lonely, the world says, that means you're depressed, let's drug you up in hopes of making you feel better. The Christian says, well, I'm a little down and out today, but let me talk to my God and read His promises to me, and perhaps I'll feel a little better. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there is a time for mourning. It's not wrong to have moments of depression and sadness in our lives, uh, but there's also, according to Ecclesiastes in the Word of God, a time for joy. We cannot focus on our situation more than our Savior, or we will always be depressed. If our focus is always earthly and carnal, depression is sure to abound in our lives. But if our focus is on the Lord of hosts, our Savior, Redeemer, and Friend, then what is there to be sad about? God loves me. He saved my soul by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has promised me eternal life. He forgives my sins. He hears my prayers. He speaks to me through His Word. How can I dwell in my depression when I have Jesus Christ? Stop focusing on the problems, at home or at work, and pray. Stop focusing on the stress of life and the job, and sing a hymn about the Lord. Stop focusing on every letdown and discouragement, and start memorizing verses that will encourage you. Verses like Romans 8.18, verses like John 16.33, which says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world now we've read genesis 21 up till verse 16 in genesis 21 verses 17 and 18 we find something pretty interesting here let me read it to you from the bible genesis 21:17 and god heard the voice of the lad and the angel of god called to hagar out of heaven and said unto her what aileth thee hagar fear not for god hath heard the voice of the lad where he is Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. Here we see that Hagar does not cry out to God in her distress, but her son does. Ishmael cries out to God. Praise the Lord for somebody in your life that will cry out to God even when you don't. Verse 19, And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. Hagar did not want to see the death of her son. She walked away from him and wept and closed her eyes. When the angel of God spoke to Hagar, God opened her eyes to reveal that salvation in the form of water was right there within reach. Today, millions of people sit dying in the wilderness and do not see the salvation that is right in front of them. They don't want to consider death. So they allow themselves to be blinded by the devil through false teachers and false hopes. And they sit around waiting to die when salvation is right there within their grasp. God promises in his word in Romans 10.9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. People sit around even in churches without the water of life waiting to die and see if they were good enough to get in. All the while, we try to show them over and over again, Romans 3.10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. People are holding on to empty water bottles while they sit within reach of a well of water that will never run dry. Christ said in John 4.14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That well is within reach. The sad thing is that people will not see that well until their eyes are opened. Consider with me Acts 26, verses 15 through 18. The Bible says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This is Paul's testimony before King Agrippa, telling the king uh, how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that testimony, Christ tells Paul to open blinded eyes. Yet we have no record of Paul ever having healed any physically blind person. The eyes that Paul and you and I are to open are the spiritual eyes of the people around us. We ought to be showing them that their water bottle is empty and that the well of Jesus Christ is within reach. Otherwise, they will die. For some, the empty bottle is a profession of faith made without understanding. For others, it's trust in baptism or good works. But those things are not salvation. They are empty bottles that make you feel better for a while, but will never save your eternal soul. If you're hearing my voice today and you are a blood-bought, born-again Christian, I hope today that you are not dwelling in despair. I hope you will allow yourself to be encouraged in the Lord. If you are hearing my voice today and you do not know for sure that you are saved and going to heaven when you die, if you are concerned that perhaps instead of that eternal well of water from Christ, maybe you just have an empty water bottle, I'm happy to say that you can know for sure that you're saved today. As we saw earlier, God's word promises that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What do you believe today?